Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and I'm joined once again, as always, by Connor Rebush. We're here talking about UFC uh vegas seven ufc on espn 79 ufc vegas 540 but not uh ufc apex show no fight it's night. yawn versus duolish willie is the card yawn versus duolish willie a fight night at the theater at virgin hotels uh in paradise nevada but technically called the theater at virgin hotels las vegas because nobody wants to be known as being in paradise nevada yeah. It, I mean, it really is one of those things, too, where like. It's not even like Reno. It's like, it is yeah. it basically, it's like a suburb of Vegas, right? Yeah, it's just a Vegas suburb. I just Weird. like the idea that they call it paradise because, like, if any state were to most mimic hell <laughs> on Earth, yeah. A, just a bastion of rock and fire and brimstone and, <laughs> and sin. sin. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the sin. <laughs> it is Nevada. <laughs> this idea that you would like have a, a Las Vegas suburb called Paradise. Uh-huh. I find that very funny. Mm-hmm. Give yeah, me a hearty chortle. <laughs> yeah. Right next door to uh, morally upright Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you know you you can get the the best over you can get the best marriage in a hurry and a quick yeah. divorce and the cheapest hookers and the cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! All right, we're here talking about this uh, UFC Fight Night card, and it is a uh, it's a really solid one. Really it is fun, very very solid. Made even better by the fact that it's like early in the day and it's all on ESPN plus so that the, the pacing should be breakneck. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a good card. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. No complaints. Yep. Now we're here to talk about a uh, featured prelim, which is of course a heavyweight bout because what else are you going to feature than yeah. the trashiest heavyweights that you can find. Yeah, certainly not one of the like three more viable fights on, on these prelims. Well, we said we're not complaining. We're not complaining. That's oh, right, it. right, right. Yeah, we no like complaints. This. Now, I got to say, like, yeah. aside from the, the, the slot it occupies, which is just at this point just a running gag for the UFC. Yeah. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, uh, Wukas Breski, did you name the fighters yet? Lukas Breschke against Carl Williams. Yeah, and, and Breschke um, had a genuinely solid three-round heavyweight fight in his debut. Yeah. Man, has all the pieces of a young Alexander Volkov, including the body. Yeah, well, he's not as tall. He's not as tall, yeah. Yeah, he's he's like a, a compact Volkov, but he lo- does look a lot like him. He does, doesn't he? Um. Yeah, he's he's one of your your uh, non traditional heavyweight archetypes. Uh-huh. Uh, good, well con- well conditioned, high output, scrappy. Yep. Um, and certainly he has the requisite heavyweight chin because yep. uh, his style requires him to take a lot of shots. This is, not, this is not a great defensive fighter. This is not a guy who 
does anything except run straight backward flailing with both hands when somebody's coming at him. But he is also down to exchange punches. He works the body. He's got a pretty diverse toolkit of strikes. And then you've got him against Carl Williams, who uh, also looks like a pretty solid uh, young heavyweight. Yeah, very, I would say Carl is much earlier in his development. Yeah, but he, he's got a, a skill set that I would like to see more of Yeah, at heavyweight in that he is a, I mean, he, first of all, he looks like a solid athlete. Mm-hmm. He, especially at the beginning of a fight, it is really funny when you see a guy like Williams come out and he's like, he's bouncing on his toes, looking like Cyril Gaon. I mean, even Cyril Gaon goes through this process. Yeah. He's looking like gone out there, moving around, firing jabs, making the the slower opponent reset constantly. And then as soon as you get into round two, it's like, oh, we're both flat-footed. Yeah. <laughs> All that agility just C- has... Cyril gone? More like Cyril gone, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got moving it. right along. <laughs> you should do more of that. I enjoy no-selling your bad jokes. <laughs> Usually that's my role on the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing that Williams has is a pretty great shot. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty strong takedown artist. And that can take you a lot of places at heavyweight just because no one knows how to deal with that, including yeah. the aforementioned Cyril Gaon. Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it it looks to me like a matchup where uh, I think that Bresky's just refusal to go away and his slightly more meaningful experience. I mean, he showed a lot of good signs in that Budai fight. Yeah. Um, that he was could a, argue easily that he won it. Yeah, I think I thought he won it. I was, yeah, most it was, people did. He, yeah. he outlanded Budai two to one in a fight where neither guy hurt each other. And the judges gave more weight to Budai's strikes because they thought they were harder. And, you know, fine, fair enough. I find that very hard to like yeah. cut that line when you don't have guys getting hurt and they're just throwing at each other and you're like, oh, okay, this guy did a lot more work, but the other guy, we just think it was better. Like, Yeah, of 13 um, media scores rendered on MMA decisions, only one thought Budai won the fight. Yeah. And I, I thought watching it, it was close enough that it didn't seem like an egregious decision. It was very competitive throughout. But I definitely thought Bresky won. Strikes landed were 118 to 66. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very active heavyweight. And yeah. um, I'm curious to see how he responds to Williams's wrestling. Um, but uh, I think he responded pretty well to the attempts that Budai made. I think he and also just having a great gas tank mm-hmm. just looks like a huge advantage in dealing with that. It wasn't as if Williams um, was able to hold his uh, contender series opponent down. Who was that? Jimmy Lawson. Yeah. It wasn't as if he was able to hold him down for the entirety of a round on the strength of one takedown. Uh -uh. Uh, The shot is nice. It's well-timed. It's strong. He's got great drive, but um, the grappling I think leaves a bit to be desired. And you also have to wonder too, how much of the strength and drive of that shot was the fact that Lawson's a six foot uh, heavyweight with five pro fights to that point. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you know, you know taking down a little stocky dude isn't the easiest thing in the world, but no. he also didn't seem to know how to deal with the shots at all. Again, yeah. that doesn't really set him apart from much more accomplished heavyweights. No, it's it not it's, a division with a great d- defensive wrestling reputation. No, he will very likely almost certainly take Bresky down mm-hmm. at some point. He, just, he definitely will. Yeah. Unless he gets somehow improbably KO'd quickly, which doesn't seem that likely. Yeah, Bresky's not a guy known for uh, yeah. his If he is known for his KO, it's only because yeah, his quick KO. No, he's not. He's he's, he's not. had one first round knockout in his whole career as a heavyweight. Well, he's had two early fights that just say win on yeah. topology. Who knows what happened there? He's but most a guy who gets a decision or he TKOs you later in the fight. Yeah, he's an overwhelmer. And he mm-hmm. fights like one. Yeah. Yeah. He knows it. I mean, he, and yeah, he, yeah he, again, he looks very comfortable in a scrappy fight. Very tough. Does not get tired. Um, I think these are both promising heavyweights, but Breshke just looks like a slightly more complete fighter at this point, because otherwise, as long as they're on the feet, Williams definitely gets uncomfortable very quickly into an yeah. exchange. Um, Again, he uses his jab and he moves his feet. I like that. But these things tend to diminish pretty quickly into the bout. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm taking the poll. Said that before. <laughs> you really delayed that. I was, were you not sure if that was okay to say or something? <laughs> no, I just wanted to, like, give it maximum. I didn't even hear it as a joke. Normally, I would hear that after I said it and then laugh. I was like, no, that's what they're called. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to say Polak, Zane. Is that what you want? <laughs> yes, yes. I want you to really <laughs> lean into your World War II prejudice. <laughs> I'm taking Wukash. Yeah. Uh, Breshki opened at minus 170 and is currently at plus 182. Carl Williams opened at plus 145. is currently down at minus 226. Um. Hmm. Interesting. I don't really know what would be driving that line. Contender series bump. I guess. That's it. Yeah. Happens all the time. Because Carl Williams, like, the guy he beat was really inexperienced. He looked really inexperienced. Mm -hmm. You look at the wins he's got, they're almost all decisions. Mm -hmm. And, like... A, a knee injury. There's a couple of KO TKOs in there, but you can be sure they were just like it got somebody stuck under me that did not have any idea what they were doing at all. Mm-hmm. And Breshki, like he got knocked out once early in in his career, and is otherwise he you know fights hard late into fights i don't see any reason that you would ever consider either of these guys to be a, mm-hmm. a major clear favorite over the other but if i had to i would i mean breshki's been he's been doing this a half decade longer even mm-hmm. though it hasn't shown up in his uh he doesn't have a much deeper record and he looks like a more experienced fighter he looks like a guy who's been doing this longer and he's been fighting better guys like he beat Ednaldo Oliveira who is a former UFC fighter who mm-hmm. has been fighting like shit lately, but is still a dude, you know, when he fought Breshke, he was 20 and five. That's, you know, that's a lot better mm-hmm. than anything on Carl's, Carl's record. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, and you and you, I haven't seen it, so this could yeah. be incorrect. But my assumption on that early KO, a lot of times, this is just a case of a guy not knowing how to take a shot yet. Sure, getting yeah. surprised, being anxious, just not being comfortable, and and greatly magnifying the impact of a punch that, based on his later fights, he probably could take now. Yeah, but he looks like a fighter with a very durable chin. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to about Rafael Asuncao, Davy Grant, and this is a part of me looking at this, you know, right away. I'm thinking like, mm. oh, I've got concerns for Rafael Asuncao. Mm. Grant is a wild man, punches hard, fights hard. Uh, he's not credited with a very long reach, but. He's got, yeah, I think he must just have really big hands. Makes his arms look extra, like, ropey. Yeah. Yeah. He's a weird, knobbly dude. He is a very knobbly dude. That's a He's very built like, uh, like Nico Price. Mm-hmm. Very much. Just seems to hit hard. Mm-hmm. And then I thought a little more about Rafael Santos' recent fights, the ones he's lost. And his win over Victor Henry. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a fight that Asuncio can win. Victor Henry, man, that was a hell of a credible win. That was a that was a great performance. Albeit, Henry is not the kind of puncher that Grant is. And uh, he's not, you know, as powerful. But he is a much more consistent, well-rounded, dynamic fighter and he didn't really have a clear way past a sunset's counters now grant might have a way past them just by throwing and not caring the battering ram method the battering ram method but that alone has rarely been the way that that Asuncio just gets beat unless you have an extra physical layer behind that that Asuncio mm-hmm. cannot take apart. Mm-hmm. You know, like Marlon Moraes, he is a much slicker, more technical striker that Asuncio had to deal with going through space. Mm-hmm. And, and very fast. Yeah, and very fast. And as Ricky, is Cody Garbrandt. Yep, as is Cody Bar- Garbrandt. And Ricky Simone, yeah, he's a bit of a battering ram, but there's also a wrestling game that Asuncio had to deal with so that if Ricky Simone did just push through the punches, he could then control Asuncio. Yeah. You know, there wasn't... Because Asuncio, for him, his safety valve is like, oh, if you punch me and you're moving in at me, I'll take you down. And I'll, I'll, I'll grapple you on the mat. And what we saw against Victor Henry was a fighter who struggled to get past that layer and tried to push forward with volume and just ended up having no success because he didn't he couldn't get past the next layer of Asuncao's offense. Mm-hmm. And if you can't have that kind of threat all the time, since I was still a fighter who will make very few mistakes and who will take a very difficult to beat game to you. Mm-hmm. 
He is still a very good jabber. He is still a very good counter puncher. And he will still back that up with physical control whenever he needs to. That you have to then find some way to break him because he will just otherwise control off. He, he will jab off the back foot, counter to drive you away or take you and can take you down, push you against the cage, do whatever he needs to do to control you to stop you from punching him. Mm-hmm. And Victor Hand, like even again, or uh, Dave Grant, even against Louis Smolka, mm-hmm. he had trouble with that. He was able to crack Smolka, but if Smolka just pushed forward on him, Smolka could take him down. Yeah. Smolka could get him in compromising positions. And Smolka is much less, even even today's version of Rafael Santiago is much more athletic and strong than Luis. Oh, Smolka. yeah. Smolka is definitely the low end of physicality. Yeah. If he wasn't like tall and surprisingly powerful. Mm-hmm. then, yeah, he wouldn't have a lot going for him physically at all. And the the big thing is just that uh, Grant has always and will always make a lot of mistakes. It's built into his game. His, yeah. The recklessness is what makes him good because it makes him unpredictable. Yeah. And he's got the power to change a fight. If you if you have to wonder what this guy, this crazy man is going to do next and what weird looping shot he's going to fire at you next, he will catch you with something awkward. Yeah, but, I think I, w- I would be a lot more concerned about that because the, for all the fact, Davy Grant does look like a, a a meaningful puncher. He is, yeah. But the fact of the matter is he doesn't ever knock anybody out quickly. No, because it's all goofy and mistake-filled. Yeah. He is a very wide-swinging, wild clubbing puncher. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tends to be that his willingness to eat shots... And the fact that he does just continually put combinations together. He's also a respectable um, body puncher. Mm-hmm. Um, he tends to wear people down to the point where then one of these punches that they have largely seen coming for most of the fight. Yeah. Finally catches them by surprise or in a compromised position. Yeah. And um, I think I would have more concerns about that uh, working on a Sunsau if it were not for the wrestling game that you mentioned. Yeah. Because Asunzao is a great counter striker, mm-hmm. and um, I think Grant really is largely going to play into his hands by just being willing to march forward, swinging wide shots. There's going to be endless openings for Asunzao's jabs for his counter right hands. He's not going to have a super hard time finding angles and resetting and making Grant start over from square one. Mm-hmm. As the pace heats up and Grant just gets more and more. Yeah, you know, I, I was gonna say desperate, but like, it's it's more determination. <laughs> so yeah. it just leans more and more into that feeling that he's gonna break somebody down. You would still have some concerns about Asunzo just getting caught with one shot, getting bowled over with just a mad bull rush, mistiming something. You know, he's an aging fighter. Yeah. But another way that Asunzo likes to counter people is with takedowns. Mm-hmm. And um, that is something notably missing from all of Davy Grant's recent wins and losses. Is yeah. anyone who actively tries to outgrapple him? Uh huh. Meanwhile, he got instantly subbed by Manny Bermudez. He got armbarred by Damian Stasiak. He got choked out quite easily by Chris Holdsworth, who was facing more grapplers in the early days of his UFC career. 
Yeah. And they a lot of them were beating him. Yeah. And even Marlon Vera did take him down two yeah. two times on two attempts. That's true. In the in the in the rematch. Yeah. And uh Yeah, it's just you know it's just Jamie Stodziak got him down yeah. four times. It's it's always going to be a problem for Grant because it's his style's all he's got to play at his feet and he's got to swing wide. He yeah. can't if he stops doing that, he's not going to win at all. And he lunges bodily forward like that yeah. is a recipe for a reactive takedown. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Asunsao. I mean, a lot of the guys Asunsao has fought are you know they have been for a long time the very best in the world, and he has been only able to compete with them in the grappling because they're like T.J. Dillashaw and his mm-hmm. ilk. Uh, it's easy to forget that Asunsao is a phenomenal top position grappler. Yeah. With with really good ground and pounds, but also a great back taker, good positional grappler. Um, yeah, I just I mean, think having that you know, extra... Sterling. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was a terrible fight, but... Sure. <laughs> he didn't get out grappled by him. Yeah. So just having that extra option in his pocket as a counter when this fight is just going to be nonstop countering opportunities... Um, yeah, I, I think I have to pick a sense out too. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's. Uh, I'm worried that he'll get knocked out because Grant's got it's the. It's gonna weird stuff is gonna happen to him more and more. It already has yeah. been. Yeah. In his recent fights, he's 40 years old. I mean. Yeah, and you have bantamweight. You really don't. Yeah. But at the same time. This would at least be uh, this would be a, a Sunsau's clearly worst bantamweight loss. Yeah, I think Davy. What Davy Grant does when he wins is he either, um, like a lot of the people Davy Grant beats, that's like their prospect loss because mm-hmm. they haven't faced this before. Yeah, Rafael Sunsau is not the guy you're going to scare for in inex- for lack of experience. No. Like <laughs> he has literally seen it all for a very long time. So, yeah, barring him just getting caught by something weird, which very well could happen, it, it looks like a super winnable fight for him. All that said, Grant is the favorite. I'm trying to figure out where he opened, but uh, once again, I'm being terribly let down by the best fight odds server. Anyway, Grant is the favorite currently at around minus 130 to minus 150. And Asuncao is the, is the underdog at plus 110 to plus 120. Uh, open, Asuncao opened at plus 135, currently plus 115. And Grant opened at minus 155, dropped down all the way to minus 182, and is currently minus 141. Yeah, I just... I wouldn't trust Davy Grant there, but that's that's me. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I I would expect these odds to be pretty close. Yeah, definitely. Again, since I was old, and we're both understandably nervous about his chances here. Yep. It's a fight that you would pick him very confidently in ages ago, but it oh, has been yeah. ages. I mean, there is no day before today that I would be like more confident that Davy Grant would win. Yeah, that's Maybe. like picking like Matthew Lopez over him, and look what he did—he decked Matthew Lopez. Yeah, he went out there and went kill mode on him. Maybe right after the Garbrandt knockout, I really kind of thought yeah. that, yeah. like, oh man, the sunset is just done, and he's going to lose to everyone. Maybe in the in the doldrums of that moment, I would more I would pick Grant, but 
you know, any previous time to that, even in the losses, I would not ever pick Davy Grant. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Cedricus Dumas against Josh Fremd. Or as they said on the regionals, S.D. Dumas. S.D. And his his corner even calls him that. S.D., okay. So we might do Yeah, because I don't know if it was Cedric West or Cedriques. It's Cedric West. You got to emphasize the... the, Yeah, because I know D.C. was like Cedricus... And then he caught himself on the contender series, like, oh no, 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 Cedric West. I don't want to say his name wrong because apparently, you know. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I kind of assumed it was like a like a Cuban name or something, being from, from no. Florida, like maybe. Uh, okay, <laughs> it's just an invented name. Yeah, we're going with SD. SD Dumas against Josh Fremd. Welcome, welcome to the Fremd zone. Yep, that's right. Fremds with benefits. <laughs> um. Um, God, I hate breaking down fights like this. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yes, Dumas is a classic. Uh, there's two types of guys that come out of the contender series. There's guys who are good <laughs> and there's guys who might be good, but definitely aren't yet. Yeah. And, and that's Dumas. Mm-hmm. Because, like, he is not one of the finished products we like to see coming out of the contender series, not by a long shot. No, he is is the kind of person that you would, if the UFC were running a real, we're furthering the sport kind of business. Yeah. And not just a, we're trying to gather up as many random athletes as we can to fill space business. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that you give a development contract to. And yeah. you make sure that basically he gets an extra, you know, 10 grand a year or, you know, an extra five grand a fight for, for the next three fights mm-hmm. just to get extra help in camp to improve. Yeah, because he's clearly got something. He's out there. Yeah. He's he's confident. He is like wrapping up quick submissions on people. He's, he's randomly knocking people out. Fast, clearly strong too, especially. Yeah. And and there are a lot of his earlier. I mean, they're all early fights. Yeah, but there are a lot of his pre UFC pre contender series fights where like he just f- flings himself at somebody mm-hmm. and like gets a takedown or lands a big shot, and these just are these opponents are nothing. So. Yep. Of course that works because he's a better than average athlete and these are all a bunch of schmoes. Yeah. Um, and, and it's it's always just very difficult to know what to expect and even more so because I, I guess I should credit the UFC. They have matched him with a, you know, a winnable matchup. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not like Josh Fremd is bad. He's just not athletic. He's not athletic. That was the real problem against Treshawn Gore because that really felt like a matchup he should have been able to win. Yes. That when was... he had more physical parity with Anthony Hernandez, mm-hmm. he was competitive at a lot of points in that fight. Yep. Um, and, yeah, f- was finding, like, second wins and was hitting nice reversals on the ground, getting a few of his own takedowns. 
Um, suddenly against Gore, you're like, oh, this guy is really foot slow. And yeah, a much worse fighter. Coordination. A much worse fighter than Hernandez, but a much better athlete. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is Hernandez is a very good fighter, but it is not because of any athletic advantages. Yeah. He doesn't get tired. He's insanely confident. And he just goes, goes, goes. He's a dynamic shifter. Exactly. Does everything all the time and beats you in transitions or breaks you slowly. Very much middleweight Amanda Amanda Hebus. Yes. Yeah. That's not a bad comparison. Um. So, but yeah, a fight like that one with Trayshawn Gore, like Gore is just not a very good fighter. And friends, mm-hmm. like we just, just had nothing like, for him physically. Exactly. Just like running into a wall trying to take him down. Um. Like he got guillotined by him, just like mm-hmm. desperately trying to finish a single. And it's just the squeeze was just too strong for him to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess Dumas for physicality, yeah. but I think Dumas is such a messy fighter. Like at least Gore, oh, yeah. at least Gore is like patient to a fault. Dumas is like, Michael Morales on a really bad day. Yeah. No, I know. Just a real mess. Um, so I, I just don't know. This very well could be the rude awakening fight if Fremd can hang out and just stay on him and test him, but it does just seem like another one the highest level version of a fight where he might just be able to fling himself across the cage and something will work. Yeah, and I mean too, you know, seeing like that high ball fight for uh Dumas. You know, that was not it, it's it's not good that the most experienced fighter that Dumas ever fought, he basically yeah had to like go to a stalemate decision and yeah. just couldn't get a lot of good functional damaging offense done. But it also showed that like he could just control a lesser athlete for three rounds. Yeah. And dig down and do it. And he's otherwise, he's strong enough. He's dangerous enough. He's finished people with a variety of techniques. Yep. That I think there's just a lot of natural power to his game. So, yeah, I'll take him to beat Fremd. But, yeah, if Fremd can come out there and take the shots and be the, you know, just be the grinder, he's got a chance. Dumas's game, like, he's not hard to take down. Yeah, right. He can sweep and he can, you know, do other things. He's once again, that athleticism, I think, just shines through for him. But it could also be that Fremd will just be the best wrestler he's ever faced and could just push him over and stay on top of yeah, him. Yeah, that very easily could happen. Yeah, he's he's so, basically got the, the requisite physicality to get away with making all the wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. Like when somebody shoots in on Dumas, he does the Volkov thing. Yeah, yeah. Just sort of flops over. It's like, is this a headlock on my body? Like, oh, I'm on my ass. Yeah. But it's not, he's not a polished fighter, not even close. Yeah. And he, especially moving backwards, he's a deeply uncomfortable striker. He's the kind oh, of yeah. striker who's only uncomfortable if he has total static space. Yeah. Absolutely. If he and his opponent are both out at the very end of range and not moving. Dumas can uncork some big strikes and look fast and look strong and powerful. Yeah. But if he has to push forward, it, that things quickly go into like arm punch, chin up territory. 
Yeah, and these if, are mostly opponents. It doesn't even matter that he like doesn't. He neither is his ability to like set these strikes up being tested. Yeah, he just yeah. fling things out there. Yeah, and if he has to move backwards, it is pure chin up straight back to the cage, deer in the headlights territory. Yeah, he is so, a purely unschooled fighter. Yeah, his striking is raw, and his that's why you see, watch his fights, and most of them are him out out wrestling people because mm-hmm. that is usually what the failsafe has to be. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't knock you out right away, but yeah, it's just you're really getting a very low level athlete here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dumas is the favorite. Opened at minus one fifty. Is currently at minus two oh four. Fremd opened at plus one thirty. Dropped down to plus one oh eight. Is currently at plus one sixty six. I mean, I you know, if you're taking chancy bets, friend is an underdog. Seems like it might be. I would uh, not bet on this fight. No, I wouldn't bet on it either. I'm just trying to help people who lose money in ways that I don't. Yeah. Um, which I should. The do. only thing I'm good at is predicting when a fight is going to suck ass. Like a secondary yeah. type prediction is this fight is going to be an absolute mess. Yeah. I would not bet on a fight like that. No, it's true. All right, that brings us to a, a Bantamweight bout. Mario Batista, Guido Canetti. And um, Canetti's had a nice, like, surprising little career revitalization I lately know. around the fact that he's just clearly the kind of guy who had somebody got to him in 2007 yeah. when he first started MMA. And given him a really good camp, he could have been a title contender. Mm-hmm. He's that kind of at- natural athlete, mm-hmm. super fast, super powerful, super dynamic. They never got to him. And until 2015, he went to Alpha Male, which is really not the place to go to really tune up the nuances of your game. Mm-hmm. And so he has a game that either works instantly or self-detonates. And the last two times he's fought, it's worked instantly. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, First round finishes. That's how he wins. Yep. So I got to assume this time it's going to totally self-destruct. Uh, certainly, you know, Corey Sandhagen caught Mario Batista in an arm bar in the first round. But even Trevin Jones had to go deep into a second round before catching Batista with the counter hook. And that loss seems like it lit a fire in Batista that he needs to, he can't fight trying to be the creative technician outside. That he needed to be the aggressive bully. Yep. And, you know, he may not always have the physicality to be the bully. Certainly here, early on, he might get a couple of rude awakenings from Kennedy. Mm-hmm. But he is clearly, if he can make that start to work for him at all, he is such a chain threat. Yep. When he can start bullying you a little bit, like he, he just, 
he fucked Benito Lopez up. <laughs> like, five kinds of ways. There was no outlet that Benito Lopez could find in that fight where he was not just getting constantly wrecked by Mario Batista. It was a very Billy Quarantillo kind of performance from yeah. Batista. Where it's like, oh, if my physicality starts to work on you at all, yeah, right. It is all hurt from here on out. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Like that's, you know, that's the right attitude to have. You may not always win every fight like that, but every time you do win, people are going to be like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. Like that dude got his ass beat, and yeah, I think that's going to work for for Batista here. Yeah, I'm not that confident to be honest. It's it is no. like. This is, I mean, I, I see the same, I'm going to make the same yeah. pick for the same reasons, but this is basically like Chandler Hooker. Yeah, yeah. And there's like, yeah, there's two ways it could go. True. I mean, there is, there will be that moment where Batista is just out there being like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to walk into this guy and try to wreck him. And Guido Canetti will, will be like, oh, here's a hook twice as fast as you can throw it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Batista, not exactly a defensive savant. No. really needs to overwhelm people like his chin is absolutely going to be tested early in this fight mm-hmm. and Kennedy is uh, yeah super fast just super dynamic even at 43 years old it's crazy yeah. it is like I say it's a it's a crime that somebody didn't get to him sooner you right. know um, yeah he's like a Michael Chandler Dennis Bermudez like that kind of athlete mm-hmm. um but yeah I am going to take Batista because it's tough to pick <laughs> Kennedy knowing that despite all the success he could have early, he is also, it is even more certain that he is going to collapse. Yeah. A 43 year old that is a 43 year old Tasmanian devil that with every rotation, a, a little piece is flying off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just bolts just flying out every time he throws a punch. Yeah. He, he, everything is completely pedal to the metal and he destroys himself. The opponent doesn't even have to do it for him. Yeah. And given that Batista is going to be pressuring him and making him throw and making him shoot, making him scramble, no matter how much success he has early, as long as Batista survives, he is going to keep doing the same thing into the second round. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy cannot. Yeah. So the only time Kennedy wins a decision is when he is just crushing the opponent. Yeah. When when the guy when he's so much more athletic than the guy and the guy is so durable that is just him getting to beat on somebody for round after round. Like Mana Martinez. He gets to beat Mana Martinez because right. the athletic gulf is so massive there. Yeah. That it's just like, you know, there's yeah. no version of, or he it was a split decision lost to Mana Martinez, actually, which is actually kind of proves the point. Yeah. Not, yeah. Just, just being tough, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mar Batista is tough he's mentally very tough he is a patently aggressive fighter and um yeah at some point he's gonna like be getting into clinches pushing Kennedy up against the fence taking his back yeah uh and finishing him yeah so Batista's got to be the pick it'll be fun though because like oh yeah Guida Kennedy is you know all credit to him being out there doing the damn thing mm-hmm uh, he opened at plus 285, jumped up to plus 508, and is at plus 639. 
Mario Batista opened at minus 350, dropped to minus 800, is minus 1,025. That is a not Mario Batista odds. I am just going to say that here. You know, Batista is a lot of fun. He is not minus 1,000. No. Territory. Wait, is that the number you said? Was that what the odds are? Minus one thousand twenty-five. Okay, that makes me once again want to double down and say. Kennedy wins by TKO KO is sixteen plus sixteen hundred. That might be your unreasonable, unlikely outcome bet, just because there is no way the line should be that long. Yeah, absolutely not. For a fighter who has been, especially in Batista, he has been knocked out before. By, yeah, and, and Kennedy can also hit quick submissions. I mean, he will blast yeah. somebody off their feet and take their back. Like, yeah, if anything he does surprises Batista enough to finish him, it has Kennedy happened before. The distance is plus 900. Yeah, that's too confident. By submission plus 2,000. Too confident. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not going to bet on any of this. No, I Batista don't should be the bet. favorite for sure, but not Batista like that. Should be the favorite, but yeah, they got him out here like Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivisection, the MMA Depressed Us, and the sixth round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA Vivisection. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much. All right. That takes us to a woman's flyweight bout. Ariane Lipsky, J.J. Aldrich. And I feel a little sorry for Lady Cody Garbrandt. Mm, Right? You know? All those good looks against Mandy Boom. Mm-hmm. Like, man, she's finally taken that stride. We picked yeah. her so confidently over Priscilla Cachuera. <laughs> and then, you know, no. just goes out there, gets pressured, admittedly by a, you know, a... Cachuera is learning. She is she getting is. the experience. If nothing else, she's learning when to hit people. She's getting yeah. the experience to just know, okay, this is the moment where I should be swinging. She's gotten more patient. She yep. still clearly has the brawler's instinct that when in, when punches just start flying in, in middle distance, she is just going to throw as long as the other person is throwing. Yeah. Um, but she made sure she got Lipsky just completely cornered before she did that. Yep. Otherwise, was just kind of like measuring her distance, keeping Lipsky on the back foot. But man, what a truly a heartbreaking career turnaround for Lipsky just yeah. when it seemed like she'd figured some things out. Yeah. And then they. they what's that? Or Codetta Garbrandt. Yeah. And then they throw her right back in there with uh, a, a significantly better, a less dangerous. Much less dangerous, but significantly better. Significantly better fighter in J.J. Aldrich. Mm-hmm. Like Aldrich is just not a fighter. It is easy to look good against. Granted, when people do um, do look good against her, it's because they have a some kind of massive physical advantage. Mm-hmm. Even then, it tends to be a very tough fight until yeah. they manage to overwhelm her. 
Barber and Blanchfield both had a ton of trouble with Aldrich before they finished her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's really just that, like, Aldrich will be really very sharp, good counters, good distance management, strong in the clinch, difficult to take down. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of, I think she just sort of loses focus. I think that's kind of her primary problem. She, like, she has a sense of urgency based on nerves when the fight begins. And then she kind of just settles in and stops, like, winning the rounds. It's either that or the other thing I have the feeling of is that, like, she's been clearly putting a lot of work in and getting a lot better. And she feels like she should be dominating people. Maybe, yeah. And she just starts getting frustrated that it, and she just gets frustrated that she's not. Yeah. You know, and loses focus because no matter how hard she trains, she's just never going to be an elite athlete. She's never going to go out there and just start icing fools. Right. And that's just really unfortunate for her. It'll happen one of these days by chance because yeah. she's a sharp, accurate puncher with good timing. Um, but yeah, she's, she's just, she's her, she's fated to be a solid fighter. Mm-hmm. I mean, she um, really should be a top borderline top 10 ranked fighter forever in this woman's flyweight division. Yeah. And it just yeah. sucks that every time she's building any momentum at all, she gets a, a knockback loss to a rising prospect and that like, no, you know, nobody will then give her any credit at all. And she's exactly. forever regula- uh, relegated to the outskirts of the division. Yeah, it really isn't fair. Like she, yeah. she should be ranked for uh, like she's just been consistently very good the whole time she's been in the UFC. Yeah, she is a a classic gatekeeper to the elite. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I think she's going to be able to handle Ernie Lipsky. I mean, yeah. Not only is she just a, a a very consistent striker, even with the drifting out of focus, she is still going to be landing enough clean strikes and countering well enough to stop anyone from overwhelming her. But she will also just take Ariane down. Yeah, she's a good takedown artist, and Lipsky has no takedown defense at all because, you know, the the the, the joke about the, the Cody Garbrandt joke, it's really like she's just so focused on wanting to punish people. So focused on wanting to plant her feet and hurt somebody that if they're rushing at her, her only thought is, well, I better punch you really hard now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and you know, Aldrich is not going to rush her, but. No, but if she's, if she's driving, if our Aldrich shoots on a double. Yeah. Lipsky's only thought first, her first thought is. I'd better punch you really hard. Yeah. Oh, can I hammer fist your? I'll jump the guillotine. Right. Can I hammer fist your brain stem and then a second too late? Maybe I should guillotine you. (laughs) Yeah. It is. Yeah. This is a thing. I mean, I just did a scouting report on um, Aaron Phillips, Mm -hmm. and that's a problem I identify with him as well. I think it's it's common among a lot of fighters who just never manage to break through. Is that? Yeah. They just like they 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 want the aggressive option. Mm-hmm. in every position and how many times do you see this in MMA where somebody gets like a single leg and the opponent is like hiking it up trying to treetop them and they're yeah. like wildly punching or people who their opponents in on a double against the fence and they're just trying to punch them in the head and like 
that is a self-defense video method that does not actually work in MMA. Yeah. You need to, sometimes you just need to be defensive. Yep. Especially in those critical moments where you're like, you are being out positioned and controlled or you're threatened with being controlled for the rest of a round or something. You just need to focus on doing the defensive thing and then you can go back on the attack. That is something that Lipsky, she, she learned to measure her own offense at, at range in the Mandy Boom fight. Mm-hmm. But when pressed by Cachoeira, that was very much a Lipsky response. Yeah, and then one of the things, too, that I noticed watching that Boom fight again is that Boom did a lot of the work for Lipsky yeah. in that fight. Because Boom is very much has this, like, oh, I'm going to be a clever, like, creative, you know, she's very Alex Caceres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's out there with like her hands down and she'll like bounce into range and throw something and get hit really hard by Lipsky. And then she'll bounce back out and like shimmy away and be like, right. Oh, you know, I'm out here resetting. And so so Lipsky didn't have to do that much distance maintenance. Yeah. Boom was doing a lot of it for her. The, the, The triggers, the trigger counter opportunities just came to her over and over again. Yeah. And yeah, that's just, Aldrich will just crowd if that's what if, if that's what Lipsky's doing. Yep. Yep. She'll get in and clinch her and probably try to take her down. Probably Aldrich. in a safe way that doesn't even give the guillotine opportunity. It's yeah. probably like a single leg trip and Lipsky just goes down easily. Aldrich is the favorite opened at, I have no idea, uh, opened at what is currently at minus 380 to minus 450. Lipsky is uh, currently sitting at plus 285 to plus 350. So healthy favorite odds for J.J. Aldrich. does not feel inordinately wide to me, honestly. No. Aldrich is just too good. Lipsky has yet to beat anybody at this level uh, who even approaches J.J. Aldrich's level of ability. Yeah, she's just yeah. like one of the most solid women in the division. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? She's good. At this point in time, Lipsky's best win is Luana Carolina, mm-hmm. who is herself a very messy fighter. Yep. And before, beyond that, it would be Silvana <laughs> Gomez-Juarez, who uh, just got cut for losing to Carolina Kovalkovich down a, bit, mm-hmm. a division. All right. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Should be on the main card, or honestly, the flyweight bout before it should, but uh, the, the flyweight opener should. Victor Henry, Tony Gravely, and or Gravely. I think it's Gravely, isn't it? I think they say Gravely. Yeah. Victor Henry, Tony Gravely. And uh, yeah, this is a pretty quality bantamweight fight. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reasonable step back for Henry after that shocking yep. but comprehensive loss to Sun Tzu. Mm-hmm. And uh, for Gravely, a just a sidestep uh, from that loss to Javid Basharat, where it's just sort of like, okay, well, mm-hmm. you struggled with a volume striker who throws a lot of creative kicks and is tough. Here's another, sorry. <laughs> yep, <laughs> basically. Um, you know, I unfortunately... I don't really know what Gravely is going to do different because the problem for Gravely is really that 
he came to the UFC as a pretty finished pros- product. Yep. You know, he's been this fighting is... since 2015. He got to the UFC in 2020. Uh, and he's kind of in the core of his career right now. We're seeing the best Tony Gravely, which, you know, is a very good fun- functional uh, wrestle boxer. He showed against Boshrat. He's picking more targets. Mm-hmm. His striking throwing... has definitely improved in the last few fights. Yeah, he's throwing more to the body. He is throwing more in combination. The wrestling is still there as a backbone to his game. But uh, if he's not knocking somebody out, it doesn't lead anywhere. Exactly, yeah. The grappling He's not even a particularly there. strong control wrestler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like the thing that sort of was revealed um, among many other things that we already knew in that Brunson Duplessis fight. Mm-hmm. Is that you put Brunson in like strictly wrestling positions where the opponent doesn't just get like insta taken down the way Duplessis does. Mm-hmm. And if he's like riding you in like a, a, a three quarters kind of position and like a a referee's position, then he looks, he can control people quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's staying in the clinch, he can control you quite well. And then you like put him in side control and his actual grappling isn't that good. Yeah. <laughs> like, his jujitsu is not that good. And that yeah. kind of feels like the case with Gravely as well. Like getting takedowns nice, but um, even on defense, like uh, one of the more troubling things in that Basharad fight is that as he was getting overwhelmed with strikes, Basharad hit a few takedowns on him. Yeah. Um, and his positional grappling did not look good in those positions either defensively. Yeah. It's, it's how does he, how does a guy like Tony Gravely get an advantage and then like sit on it? How does he take the fight away from his opponent unless he can finish them? Yeah. He, yeah, that's what he lacks. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of the same with the striking, too. The striking is improved. He picks mm-hmm. more targets. He throws better in combinations. He's busier, but there's no... He either hurts you with the strikes yeah, exactly. or everything has to restart. Yeah. Every exchange is a new adventure. Yeah, he's not know? building a win. No. He is just saying, okay, well, this time I'm going to go in and I'm going to throw a body-head combo. And if that hurts this person, great. If it doesn't, I'll come back out and I'll jump back in with a one-two. You know? It's not a building process. It's not a learning process. Yeah. And Henry is very much a... He's a builder as a striker. Yeah. He's out there. He's going to be kicking your legs. He's going to be kicking your body. He's going to be trying to break you down so that later on he can step in with harder shots and more creative combos and land things that you don't see coming. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be a constant onslaught that builds all the time. And, uh, yeah, I just don't think, you know, I think the Boshrat fight was... Pretty indicative of what yep. to expect here. Yeah. Yeah. There's just you have one fighter that can that can start well and can get, can do great in spots, mm-hmm. and you have another fighter who is constantly building to do to be better and better and better, and they're just going to ca- start pulling ahead at some point. Mm-hmm. I guess that's another just a type of bantamweight. 
Mm-hmm. Basharat, Henry, they're kind of in the same league as like Corey Sandhagen. He's mm-hmm. top of the heap. But yeah, just like rangy building strikers who are nonetheless, because it's bantamweight, definitely dangerous enough to knock you out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Basharat largely sort of just kept the output up, but he also hurt Ravley a few times in that fight. And yeah, Henry, I think, is better than Basharat at um at, at at not just building a control advantage, but he he will start seeing those like tactical openings as you start overreacting to the feints and having to respond to longer and deeper combinations. Uh, Victor Henry will definitely clean your clock with a really good straight right hand uh, or a big uppercut or something like that. Yep. So hard not to pick uh, Victor Henry here. Odds here. Henry is only a slight favorite, which I think he deserves better. That is secondhand fading Rafael Lissunsau, and I will not have it. Yeah. That loss was a reminder of how good Lissunsau is, not a check on how good Victor Henry is. It's a reminder. It's the same thing, too, that has a Sun Tzu as an underdog to Davy Grant. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, Henry is currently sitting at a minus 140 about with Gravely uh, sitting at plus 120, plus 110 to plus 120, plus 125. So, yeah, not I, honestly, I think that Henry deserves to be just a little bit more favored. I think this is a pretty similar matchup to the Basharat fight for Gravely. Agreed. And I, and Henry's better than Basharat, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if he's as... Let's see. That's actually a good question. Henry is five foot seven, and... Rafley's five five. Boshrat is five foot nine. I was gonna say he's not as big as Boshrat. Yeah. He uses his length very well. He is a very yeah. jab centric fighter. He's never been knocked out. I mean Yeah. Pretty pretty easy pick for Henry. Should should yeah. be a healthy favorite. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Tyson Nam, Bruno Gustavo da Silva. And this is this is a great booking. Should be a great fight. Battle of the power right hands. Battle of the power right hands. And I think Bruno Silva, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, is probably, I, I, I'm just going to say, one of the most under-heralded or underrated fighters in the UFC. Hmm. Like I, I don't think he's a fighter that anybody thinks about mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And he's had some hard losses, you know. He lost to Tajir Lanbakov and David Dvorak. So it makes kind of sense. He, you know, he had a couple losses before he got to the UFC and all that. But you realize that, like, Silva is actually, he's kind of a really hard fight for everybody. Yeah. And like he, you know, he had a split decision lost, or he had a split draw to Casey Kenny mm-hmm. back in LFA. And 
a you know like that fight with Tajir Lanbakov was a tough one. The fight with David Dvorak was a tough one. And otherwise, uh, Silva is a guy who almost never gets. He's only been submitted twice, one of which was overturned for marijuana, which is or no was actually it was a steroid, furosemide, or no, it was a diuretic. It was a diuretic. Okay. That makes sense because he is a beefy man. He's a beefy man. He's been submitted twice, but he's and his only knockout was an instant like flash KO on the regionals. Yeah, he's tough as hell, basically. He's a huge puncher, and he's just always a challenge. Yeah, and that, that is also it's worth remembering that the Khalid Taha fight was at bantamweight. Yeah, and the Khalid Taha overturned for a guy who illegally cut weight up a division. Yeah. And so, and ban- the, the head kick knockout loss he suffered was also at bantamweight. Yeah. And like Tyson Nam is almost certainly not going to head kick knockout. Bruno Silva. No, he might knock him out with the right hand. He might knock him out with the right hand. He actually did head kick knock out Ali Bagatino. That's true. In the the very last second of the fight. He has done it once. Yep. Otherwise, it's... To a good fighter. (laughs) Yeah, to a good fighter. Otherwise, it's all punches for, for Nam. But, like, my point is, Bruno Silva is very hard to knock out. Yeah. And if one of these two men is likely to lead exchanges, mm-hmm. it's likely to be Bruno Silva. Yeah. And Tyson, Tyson Nam likes to pressure, but he really likes to counter. Yeah. And Nam is also a dude who, you know, he rarely ever gets knocked out, but he's been knocked out more times than than Bruno Silva. Yeah. He's also fought a lot more times. He's also fought a lot more times. Guy but, has like a 35 fight career. Yeah. And his last knockout loss was uh, to... Uh, Marlon Marais in 2013. 2013. Wow. Yeah. So Damn, this dude debuted in 2006. Yeah. I mean, young veteran Tyson Nam is the young veteran to a T. 100%. Yeah. And he Just, looks as good as ever these days. Yeah. I mean, if, if that's not how, better. That's what happens to a young veteran. When you turn into an actual veteran, those years of being a, a crafty guy who can hang in there with people yeah. suddenly become the crafty guy that beats people. Yeah, it's almost like a reversal of the other thing. We, I think we talked about this with um, with uh, when we were talking about Jones and like the lowering mm-hmm. the lowering output is like, is it like a as you age, you re- have to reckon with mortality kind of thing? Yeah. You just like start to assess risk differently um, having been through more scrapes and uh, it's almost like the young veterans invert that process. Because yeah, they, they just get the, just the hammer thrown at them early. They become very like patient and defensively solid, and they they weather a lot of storms. And then they get to an age where they're like they're like the old person who gets a Camaro and drives ninety down yeah. Main Street. Like, like oh, I, I, I don't care anymore. I don't have to yeah. worry about any of this stuff anymore. Yeah, Nam feels a little more like that now. Like, what do I care about anymore? Like, I'm just gonna get in your face and make you throw punches at me. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, Bruno Silva will oblige. Yeah. He will absolutely oblige. I, I like Bruno Silva because um, he's a fighter who he does like one thing really well. Mm-hmm. Like he's really good at setting up that right hand. Yeah. He's got a couple things that play off of it. He got a right hand to the body. He's got a right low kick. He's got a decent jab, but it's usually just something to throw off the rhythm. 
uh, and to get him into range for the right. He can also double leg and back take somebody. Uh, he's got a little bit of a thing to that, but it's a very simple, like it's a power, you know, yeah. it's all power moves for him and his grappling and wrestling. Yeah. So, um, it's an interesting fight because Tyson Am is going to pressure him. And I have definitely seen Silva look uncomfortable with that in the past, mm-hmm. but these are really like Ulan Bakov was a much more aggressive pressure fighter. Yeah. He was out there sticking his jab in Silva's face, busting him up, threatening him with takedowns. There's a lot that Silva had to deal with. Um, and so he ended up looking a bit sort of frantic. Uh, he still did reasonably well. Yeah. Um, made the fight tough on Ulan Bakov, but he, he ended up having to like take a lot more chances with his entries, uh, throwing from, from more awkward positions because Ulan Bakov was just using his reach to, yeah. Uh, using his reach to keep him under pressure the entire time. And and the, the Dvorak fight was pretty similar. Yeah, Dvorak is very much a volume, yeah. jabs, crosses, low kicks, one-two basic kickboxing, kind of fill yeah. all space with volume stuff. So I, I do wonder what to expect here, given that Silva is going to be likely to concede pressure. Mm-hmm. Nam, as I said, loves to pressure people, will just patiently cut off the cage for ages before even letting his shots go. But Silva is going to step in and create exchanges, and that is exactly what Nam wants from his pressure. Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of a beautiful style match. It is. It's a great fight, honestly, because Silva will he won't just let himself he won't just sit and wait for a counter. Yeah, he will he will try to draw the brawl out so that he can get the counter. Yeah, he is not a sit and wait fighter. If you if you're waiting, he will he's creating. Yeah. For better and worse. Yeah, I, I think I think honestly that's a little better for Tyson Nam. Yeah. Because because you give him somebody like Kai Car France who really wants to counter, draw him in, draw him in, draw him in, then seize the opening. I think getting somebody who is gonna sort of frenetically start punching back almost immediately as they're put under pressure. He's going to give Tyson Nam the reads he wants very early in the fight. Yeah. Um, and he's really, really good in the pocket. He's yeah. super accurate with that right hand. He's been throwing more combinations lately, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Tough, though, because, like... It's tough. Like said, it's... Bruno Silva, he's never been knocked out by punches. Right. He's super tough, and he's scrappy as hell. He, he will find ways to win or find ways to compete. For sure. And that is a problem for Nam, is that he won't. Yeah. You know? But it's going to be the kind of fight where that doesn't feel like as much of a problem. Yeah. Again, the fight is, it's going to come to him the way that he, wa- he wants it to. It, I'll, yeah. I'll favor Nam just because I think he is very comfortable in those in that kind of fight. Like, getting lots of opportunities to counter while getting to pressure, I think he's just going to be sitting pretty happily throughout a lot of this fight and just swaggering forward, knowing that Silva's just going to give him an opening. He can't help himself. Yeah. Um, so I'll favor Nam, but yeah, Silva will um, be very tricky with his timing. He's going to hit Nam super hard. He will also look to hit takedowns off of that pressure, something to surprise Nam. And maybe that brings out a little of Tyson's worst instincts as a, as a very low output puncher. Yeah. Um, when he has to sort of think twice about, um, and that's the thing that I like about Silva again, his entries are, are pretty tricky. Mm-hmm. 
So it's he's not the easiest guy to counter. It's it's much easier to again to keep him on the end of your reach and just keep poking him, which Nam does not do. I'm still yeah. going to pick Tyson. Philip is, I think he, he's kind of become one of my guys. Where I'm like, yeah, yeah. When well, Tyson Nam is one of my guys. I mean, yeah. But I like both these guys. I think this is a great matchup. Yeah, it, it's like Tyson Nam. It's much easier for me to to jump on Tyson Nam because it's like, oh, I love, I, I love the young veteran. I love the. Right. The guy who's got a game that is just like so one thing that he's been learning to do his whole life, and now he's yeah. getting to let it go. Silva's just got a a je ne sais quoi that you can't you yeah. Can resist. Yeah, Silva's just one of those dudes where it's like nobody thinks about you even for a second. Yeah, <laughs> it, but, it, it tickles the contrarian in you. <laughs> yeah, and you've lost some fights that I can, I, you know, I get why people are saying, yeah, whatever, he's a dude. But if you actually look at the fights he lost and the ways he lost them and the way he loses and the way he wins, like, you know, you're a pretty fun fighter. Yeah, he is. You know, he's very much on that, like, sort of in that sort of Douglas De Silva vein for me, where it's like yeah. beating this guy actually means something. I, I agree with you. And also, you just know watching his fights that, like, the dude has dynamite in that right hand. There's yeah. a very good chance at every moment that he is going to one shot KO his opponent. Yeah, Which you don't get enough of that at fly rate. These are two guys who possess that game. Yep. <sighs> I think I'm going to pick Silva. I think I'm going to pick Silva just because I think neither of these guys are going to go to sleep. All right. And I think he's just going to do a little more than Nam. Yeah. And that'll be it. But I, you know, I'm happy to watch either either guy win. Silva is the favorite here, which I don't think makes wow. that much sense. He opened at plus Surprise. 130, dropped to minus 175, is currently at minus 196. Nam opened at minus 150, jumped up to plus 145, and is currently at plus 162. Pretty healthy favorite. Yeah. Surprised uh, by that. I mean, Nam's been getting good results lately. I yeah. guess he had a, the loss to match Nell, but like that could have easily gone either way. Yeah, that was a close fight, and, you know... It's not a fight I would guarantee that Bruno Silva would win either because Schnell's a rangy, yeah. you know, ones and twos kind of kickboxer or boxer. Yeah. And, and yet against both of those guys, you're like, Schnell may very well get slept. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anytime could otherwise go the other way. All right. So we got one last fight, which we didn't watch any tape for because it got announced today and we didn't have time. Carlston Harris. Jared Gooden. Gooden got cut from the UFC back in 2021 off a loss to Randy Brown and uh, went out and won four of five fights with a uh, first-round knockout loss to Impa Kasanganai mixed in, including wins over Curtis Millinder and... uh, DeMarquez Jackson, Bellator fighter, former Bellator fighter. Some solid wins in there. Yeah, decent regional, decent regional level. Uh, he's come back. He's doing his thing kind of wins. I mean, yeah, two of those guys are UFC veterans. Yeah. Blender and uh, Kasanganai. And uh, Harris is coming off of a loss to Shavkat Rachmanov. Had a couple bookings fall apart in the last few months due to uh, injuries to Ramiz Brahimaj and an illness to Abubakar Nurmagomedov, which is why this fight is being made on such short notice. 
Um, even if it wasn't short notice, I would pick Carlston Harris pretty much forever here. Mm-hmm. Gooden is the definition of a stock stiff upright striker. He really fights like a rock'em sock'em robot. Mm-hmm. Wading in ones and twos. It's no shock at all that he got first round KO'd by Impa Kasanganai. Uh, it's kind of a shock that he didn't get KO'd in the UFC, frankly. Mm-hmm. Always walks in on strikes and gets hurt early in fights. Always. It's, yeah. it's In fact, it's a pretty te- good testament to his fitness that he yeah. does not get KO'd more often. It is. He's clearly he, in excellent shape and is a very good athlete. But Yeah. He is um, always upright. He is such a stiff puncher. And well, he does move his head, but he does it in the most exaggerated way possible. And he's he always like, fading right into the pocket. Yeah. And, and Carlton he, Harris is just a big dynamo. Yep. And yeah. He's going to meet Gooden in the pocket and not just with strikes. I mean, he's going to throw some terrible, awful strikes yeah. that are nonetheless very powerful, but he is also just going to slam into Gooden and grab a body lock. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is really his favorite thing to do. And Gooden will get up, but he'll also get taken down. Yeah. And Harris will just keep going after him. So I got, and on short notice too, I don't expect Gooden. I mean, you know, maybe he. He he might be the fighter who's in the gym all the time, which is why his he doesn't get knocked out more often. He's he's, he's always in shape. Mm-hmm. But Carlston Harris is a weird fighter to prepare for. The kind of guy who's who seems like a mess, and then in the, in the cage, his speed and power suddenly jump out at you. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't think it's that unlikely that he uh, he does not good now. Yeah, I would. He's I, he's not a clean striker, but he throws full power. Yep. Um, and he's one of these guys who can continue throwing full power and doing everything full power for a shockingly long time. Mm-hmm. Just a very dynamic, wild man fighter. And it yeah. just seems like Gooden, when he does manage to not just get hit cleanly and hurt instantly, needs like a pretty predictable opponent. Yeah. Like to fight with who was, which Nurmagomedov was it? Uba, Abu Bakar? Abu Bakar, yeah. Yeah. As a striker, like not much to write home about pretty low output pretty basic ones and twos kind of business Carlson Harris is just going to fling shit at Jared Gooden's head yeah um, I mean so. Gooden did fight Abubakar and Abubakar outboxed him which wow. is just to go say how stiff <laughs> is. yeah I think this might be a, an MMA math conundrum kind of thing where yeah uh, yeah Carl, I mean, the big thing, too, is Carlson Harris is one of those dudes where you look at his style and all that, and you're like, oh, wow, you know, give that guy, if he's a raw prospect, give him a few years, he'll clean up his game. Yeah. And then you look and you realize he's been doing this since 2011 Yeah. through 23 fights now, or 22 fights. And, like, that's the reason he can do this so long. Like, being an awkward wild man is just his comfort zone. Mm-hmm. He is that guy. He's going to chuck heat at you all fight. And he is trained to fight this way for years. He, he's a product of the Renova Cow fight team, which, uh, you know, had, has brought up a, a series of these kinds of very, like, 
physical, just chuck stuff at you Brazilian fighters over the years. Yeah. Oh, you were, you were, I was talking before about, um, Nurmagomedov's fight with Gooden. He didn't fight Harris. He was booked to fight. No, he's booked to fight Harris. Right. Yeah. No, Gooden did fight him. And Gooden did fight him and got a box by him. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that was one where at least he could survive and not just get like clipped really hard and and scared by something. Yeah. Um, Harris is not that kind of boxer. He's not any kind of boxer. No. (laughs) But he is a puncher. Odds on the fight just opened, but uh, Harris is the favorite at minus 260 with Gooden at plus 220. All right, on that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at Simon. Find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. Find both of us over at BloodyOpo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast. Some BloodyOpo presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. We'll be back in one week's time for UFC 286 going down at the O2 Arena in London, England, headlined by a welterweight title fight between Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Just a little reminder that you could support the MMA Vivid section, the MMA Depressed Us, and the sixth-round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA Vivid section. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>